Folks, we're back. We're uh, in an undisclosed location right across from the Rainbow Swamp, which is amazing. I'm here with Libby Bacalar. Hello, Libby. Hi. You, uh, you're kind of a pretty known person here right now in uh, Juneau and across the state, aren't you? <laughs> uh, inadvertently, yes. Not, um, not on purpose. Not on purpose, no. I'm, I'm accidentally famous, I guess you could say. So if folks don't know who you are, you worked for the state for a long time. I did. I worked for the Department of Law for 12 and a half years. You're a lawyer. Yes. And you also run a a blog, um, One Hot Mess. I do. Yep. I run that blog. Um, I've had it since... Very active on the Twitter. Yep. Very active on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I've had the blog since 2014. It started more or less as a parenting blog. Um, I, a variety of lifestyle things, cosmetics, makeup, fashion, food, music, cult, pop culture kind of stuff. And smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Yeah. Of topics, general interest, kind of colorful language. Um, you know, I'm a New Yorker originally, so there's some four letter words in there for sure. Um, and I'd been doing that on my own time, uh, and for years and, um, you know, as Trump started to ascend to the presidency, I just got more and more concerned about that, started writing about those issues, um, satirizing him and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I always knew I had a First Amendment right to that conduct. I was investigated by the state for right, my blogging. So in the, in the, let's just give a background here. Yeah. There's a lawsuit right now that you filed and right. ACLU filled on behalf of you and so if I ask you any questions that you can't answer, I'd, I'd love if we had like a lawyer in the room, you know, like those yeah. famous interviews where mm-hmm. like there's a lawyer. It's like, you can't ask that. Right. That'd be awesome. We don't have, you're the lawyer in this case. <laughs> right. but if I ask I'm anything, not my own lawyer, but yeah. If I ask anything that I, I can't, you can't answer, just tell me that. But okay. there's a lawsuit. Um, you were dismissed with other people with uh, the kind of the forced resignations and then the, the, the loyalty letter pledge, people are calling it. Right. And you were, you were like, oh, right after minutes after the governor uh, took over, right? Right, yes. 15 minutes or something afterwards. Something like that, yeah. Um, so, and many people kind of had the idea that, you know, because of your blog and your Twitter, which, by the way, I got to tell you, I have a lot of really conservative women friends who, like, fucking love your They, they tell me, like, <laughs> I don't tell anybody, but I love it. I love One Hot Mess. They, they, they tell me this. Like, it's, it's really funny. I actually. talk a lot about women's issues, too, on there. You know, love, life, sex, moms. Um, we, should, we should do a landmine love. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, you know, it's sort of like a cosmopolitan sort of a thing. Um, so I think, you know, women on both sides of the political spectrum appreciate um, some of my more colorful posts on women's issues. And, that and you, you've done, I mean, you told me... Uh, was it the Frederick Douglass one or? Yeah, I've had a few posts that have gone pretty viral. Um, I did one about sort of the day that Trump um, said something about Frederick Douglass is still doing a really good job or something, <laughs> implying he was still alive. I he did died like 150 something like that. Years ago. Yeah, I did a a fake 
Twitter account from Beyond the Grave, you know, seven tweets by Frederick Douglass, and people loved that, and that got to like three million views or something. Wow. So I've had a few posts that have really blown up. Um, I've been kind of drifting a little bit away from the longer form um, blog posts lately, and doing a, you know more kind of succinct tweets and Facebook posts and things like that. But I try and observe the world around me, observe politics and life and, you know, write things that pop into my mind. And it's a very observational sort of an exercise. And as you said earlier, you were, you were investigated and that was in the, the lawsuit, the report. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually well-known attorney in Anchorage, Bill Evans did. Yep. And that was the result of, as I recall reading the lawsuit, you had some people, some women or people, I guess it called and complained about you and yeah, one in particular. And that, right. And that led to, um, you know, ethics act complaints about my blogging and the state investigated it and cleared me of anything there. Um, you know, I'd always, you know, that was something that I did on my own time. My personnel record is speaks for itself. Well, so. what was, it was interesting to me when I read through the, cause I, you had the press conference mm-hmm. there, I guess a month ago, more than a month ago, um, in Anchorage. And I read through the, um, the lawsuit and your, your, uh, re- performance reviews yeah. were for years were just stellar. Yeah, and, I was as high as you could go in the office without supervising other lawyers. So I was very senior. Um, I handled a lot of um, interesting cases and uh, really, really loved my job. I loved the work I was doing, and I'm really sad not to be doing it, um, honestly. So um, I loved public service. I like constitutional law. Um, you know, obviously. I think there's been a violation of the Constitution here with the resignation requests and what happened with me and others, and uh, that's so what you, these I mean, I, used there for. I think so. based on your, your blog and your kind of personality and some of the stuff you've said, some folks, particularly way before you even got let go, thought you were maybe one of the ones that were going to be let go because you're, you've like you said, you've been investigated before and people have, you're kind of a target. And so yeah. were, you surpri- like, were you surprised when it happened? or? Um, I think I was actually because I know that I have the right to do that. I know I have my right to free speech and I thought that uh, I kind of trusted the system to honor that um, and it failed me. So, but that's what we have the court system for and that's what the ACLU is here for and you know, we'll see where that goes. In the meantime, I'm just sort of, you know, moving on with my life. So and, you're in Juneau. Yeah. You live in Juneau here. So yep. what, um, are you working or are you? Yeah. So I'm, um, I am, I'm freelancing, um, taking on work from other lawyers that are hiring me to on different contracts, things like that. Um, I have my own little mini practice going. I'm not really doing a lot of work with individual clients right now. I'm basically working for other attorneys on projects that they need help with. Um, and that's been pretty interesting and I'm doing okay at that. Um, but you know, public service has always been my calling. I've worked in the public sector my whole career. Um, so this is sort of a new uncharted territory for me going into private, um, sector work, but it's been interesting and, you know, I'm trying to make lemonade out of these lemons. You know, I'd rather be, in the job that I had, but that's not happening now. So, you know, I'm moving on. So what did you do? Um, you were working with elections or you were doing a lot of stuff. Um, elections was one of my main clients, but I worked, um, with many other state agencies. I think I've represented every agency in the state except for four or five of them at one point of the 12 years that I've worked. So you work, you work for, um, how many administrations? I guess three? Uh, or four. four. So I started under Frank Murkowski in the last few months of that administration. Frank the bank. Yeah. And then I worked under Palin, Parnell, Parnell, Walker. Did you ever go on the jet? 
never been on the jet. I would have loved to have gone <laughs> on the jet. That was... The only jet I've been on for work is the Alaska Airlines jet to Anchorage for court and the, meetings. The, the big one. The big one. The, the Yes, the big one in coach. So, so you, you had um, worked for, I guess, what, eight, year, eight years or seven years before you started your blog, right? So, yeah. So I started with the state in 2006, and I started my blog in 2014. And... and you said initially the blog was just kind of not really political or a little bit political? No, it wasn't really political. It was salty. You know, it's it's got salty language and it was always sort of edgy and irreverent, I would say. Um, but it wasn't directly political. And, you know, even when it was, it was never about state issues. I was always very careful. That's, yeah, that's, that's the thing that was in the report and what was... Yeah, you know, I was always really careful not to... Um, blog about any state issues or any state legislative or executive branch issues at all. I basically focused on Trump. You know, I can't stand him. And I wrote about the fact that I couldn't stand him on my own time. Uh, so that was other, in the report. It. The other thing was, what was that? De, de minim, there was a word in that report, de minim, or something time. Was it de minimis? De, de minimis. Or? Yeah. You guys have all these lawyer words. Yeah, it means know. small amount of time. I don't really know why they feel the need to use Latin still, but like I guess in, some people do. I read some report, like law decisions, and they'll say like something was enjoined, and like I look it up, and I'm like, and I'm trying to understand what that, like what's enjoined, like it means not together, right? It mean, en to enjoined means stopped. So if there's right. an injunction, if somebody's conduct is enjoined, that means it's stopped from happening. Yeah, so. I read these. I think you guys do that on purpose so you can Probably. justify like, hey, we went to law school. I'm sure. <laughs> I try and keep my, when I do legal writing, I try to keep it really simple and free of Latin. The, the interesting thing about you is, is I, I've always followed, I've seen you on Twitter and your, your, your blog and uh, the version of you I had in my mind is very different than, than you as a person. I mean, I, I, I imagined you as like a very, I don't know, just kind of a, screaming liberal progressive person uh, based on your you know your kind of tweets but when you know, I talked to you I mean you just you're you're basically nothing like I would have thought you would have been um, from the from the internet which I think is pretty common for a lot of people hmm. they have like an internet personality and then in real life they're very different um, than they are on the internet yeah I would say I'm a little bit more reserved and soft-spoken in person you're a little bit introverted yeah I mean I'm definitely more of a loudmouth in writing than I am you know, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And see, with me, like, I'm pretty extroverted, and I'm also pretty sometimes aggressive with some of my writing. Yeah. But I don't, um, I actually don't like real confrontation. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I won't shy from it if somebody wants to get in my face or something, but I don't, I don't look for confrontation with people in real life unless there's a real, re you know, reason yeah. to. Yeah. And I don't, you know, in terms of confrontation, I've, confrontation is something I get paid to do. So I'm comfortable with it. I don't like it in my personal life and I don't like it with strangers on the internet. I don't spend any time. Yeah, so how, how many people based on, you know, the stuff you put out there, I mean, you must get a lot. I mean, I get a lot of people text emailing me and messaging me and you, you probably get some real, real beauties. Huh? I do. I do a lot of blocking and filtering and un and muting and unfriending and all kinds of stuff like that. I just, I don't have the time. It's like, I have two kids. Uh, that I'm trying to raise. Um, I've got a family. I've got things to do. I don't have time to engage with 
strangers on the internet. So I just, you know, if someone wants to square up with me on the internet, I just look the other way because I want to put, I put out what I put out there. I let my writing speak for itself. I let my opinions speak for themselves. And you like it, you like it. You don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah, I mean, no, that's I, kind of my attitude. My, my, for me, the, the bar is real low for who I block on the, the landmine. I saw but, the but other day you blocked pe- someone. There's people who just get super aggressive and get, yeah. uh, they threaten and they get, and they're just trolls. All they do is they just, their whole existence is basically yeah. what's mess with people. And, but when they start threatening people and, and when they get, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fucking kill you or, you know, I'm going to fuck you up or. Yeah. You know, it's like, scary. I, I mean, mean I've like, gotten stuff like that said to me, you know, especially as a woman, you get, it can be even more tricky. You get the occasional rape threat, death threat, you know, it's, I mean, look, it's like being outspoken and pushing back against power structure is a dangerous game. It just is. I mean, the whole system is set up to keep us from challenging it and questioning it. And when you start to challenge and you start to question, the entire system is set up to punish you and push back against you. No, I, I mean, I... I and I've, you're experiencing uh, that too. I've and, experienced the yeah. same. You, you start to press buttons on people and mm-hmm. in positions of power. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had um, the, the other, you know, the Suzanne Downing woman who's has her own agenda and she writes about you know before last year about me and my job and my boss and my mm-hmm. it was totally not part of what i did with my website and and all of a sudden my my company starts appearing in her, her blog and my boss by name and in these horrible mm-hmm. th- you know and it's not just that but there's other people who start to get aware of people that are causing them trouble and you're right i mean there's structures in place that can really um and when certain people come at you or make comments about you they get taken a lot more serious yeah, definitely. I mean, depending on People who's making positions of power, them. you know, yeah. elected officials. For sure. And I think, you know, when you um, when you try to challenge those those systems and you put people on the defensive and, you know, you, I guess, speak truth to power for lack of a better social justice advocacy oh, term. I, I, I hate that. I, I hate know. that term. I hate I know. Somebody it's sent me a good. thing. You, you're, you're speaching truth to power. It's a, so little, bit, it's a little bit cheesy. Please, please, please don't tell me that. I want to <laughs> say something else. You, don't, you may not like the characterization of it, but that is what you're doing. And it's really cool and it's really needed because, you know, I one of the, my, a really, a blog post that I wrote recently that I'm really proud of was called Sick, Dumb, Mean, and Afraid. And it was really about how our entire government right now is set up to make us all sick, you know, unhealthy, um, mean and arguing with each other, uneducated, you know, dumb and afraid and afraid to push back against it. And that kind of population that's sick, dumb, mean and afraid is easily conned, easily manipulated, easily led well, I mean, into a, whatever cl- classic divide and conquer you know you, classic divide and conquer and, and yeah. you know you look at I, mean, I spent a year in australia and i i just people can can bitch all they want about social called socialized or, or one single payer and actually australia has a kind of a hybrid system they have private insurance as well but everybody has a level of insurance that's provided to them mm-hmm. and you know as, as bad as some people think it is over there when you can talk about our problems it's like nobody worries about getting sick really they don't worry about losing their job. I mean, I think in your case, you, you lost your uh, insurance, right? Yeah, it was a huge burden for me. You know, I have some chronic conditions. And so, you know, the loss of my health insurance was a real problem. Um, and and, I, spent, ki- and I have kids on my insurance. And, you know, I spent a long time fighting with 
my new insurance over my Cobra. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of very real life impacts of this unconstitutional firing for me um, and my, for my family. And, you know, on some level, you could say I did it to myself because I poked the bear and I was provocative. Um, but I have the right to do that. And, you know, I engaged in speech that made some people feel uncomfortable, but that's the only kind of speech that needs to be protected. If you, the First Amendment doesn't exist to protect speech that makes people comfortable. It exists to protect speech that makes people uncomfortable. So... Yeah, no, I mean, it goes back to the whole Larry Flint thing years ago and... Yep, all um, of that. Howard Stern, you know, there, there's... There's no reason to protect like happy language. Right. And I think, you know, there are always people who are going to push the boundaries of that. And that's where the interesting cases get decided and case law gets made. And, you know, my hope in all of this is to create some case law that gives public employees some protections from politically motivated firings, Um, you know, partially exempt non-political state employees deserve more than four years of consecutive job security. Uh, They deserve to have their constitutional rights preserved. Um, and it's not a, just about me. It's about the broader workforce of people who serve the state uh, and work in the public sector, not being afraid to express their opinions. To I mean, I have people coming up to me saying they're afraid to go to rallies. They're afraid to say, press like on a Facebook post. I mean, it's basically, you know, a, almost like a Russia-style environment. Um, and yeah, it has I've, a real... I've said that, you know, the Soviet, like they send people to the gulags and nowadays, I mean, there's just, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just destroy someone's reputation. You can, yeah. you can, you, there's so many other ways to, to do it in a different kind of 21st century way. Yeah. I mean, and it has a real chilling effect on what people feel like they can say and do. But really to me, the only response to that is to continue to assert your opinions when you and got, to continue to ask questions. When you got hired and other prosecutors and assistant attorneys general, um, and you're exempt, is that like a, is that generally known? Like you kind of know that you're an exempt and you could be let go at any point for, is that? So for, I mean, we're not a union, so there's unionized employees and then there's partially exempt, which is our class. And then there's exempt, which are the political appointees as I understand it. And then there's classified. I don't really know all of the structure of it, but um, yeah, at will employment, you know, I think I, I don't really know all the nuances because I, I didn't I, do a lot of employment work, but I, basically, you know, you can, you can be let go for reasons, but you can't be let go for an illegal reason or an unconstitutional reason. So, um, you know, that's one of the arguments in the lawsuit is that, is that I and these API psychiatrists, these are two different cases, but that we were, we were terminated for unconstitutional reasons. In their case, they didn't, they didn't sign the pledge, right? That's my you, understanding. And yeah. you, you did, I think, right? Yeah, I wrote, I wrote the letter that I was asked to write. Because um, so. I think a lot of the prosecutors that I had spoken, it's funny too, because before this all happened, months before, I had been talking to several prosecutors about problems they were having and low morale and a variety of issues. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just really ironic because the story I had written was about low morale in the Anchorage prosecutor's office and actually statewide. And I was actually later asked by the people I was talking to, and I knew it was bad. I'm thinking if they're talking to me, like in a bar, you know, 10 o'clock at night somewhere, mm-hmm. I mean, something's going on. Because yeah. they don't normally probably want to talk about the issues that are happening. And um, they asked me, hey, you know, we actually think with this new governor, because he was signaling with the, you know, the crime and all these different, they were really excited about 
a new governor, and many of them actually voted for him that maybe wouldn't normally vote for him. Mm. And um, it, was, it could have been a big win, you know, but then they were really caught off guard. I mean, many of them didn't even kind of know this could happen. They it hasn't happened in my tenure. I mean, this is the first time that they, that's they didn't happened. think about it as like a you know I'm going to get a letter right before Thanksgiving and yeah, like the Friday before Thanksgiving, like four forty five. It's mean. It's just mean. Yeah, it just seems like a I mean, way to <laughs> other ways of um, going it's about. It's just that. a little bit of a sadistic power play, in my opinion. But you know, it is what it is. And the other interesting thing, which was in, in the lawsuit, was there was another attorney that was let go. Um, and she was kind of long story short, she was involved with the Sturgeon case. That's kind of the big Republican. He's fought back on the, the overreach with the, his, his hovercraft. Right. And she was let go. And then it's, it sounds like later she was, and it was reported in the media as well that she was, um, once I maybe realized that who knows if that's the reason, but she was offered her job back. Mm-hmm. That was my understanding. Yeah. I think so that's the media, in the complaint. And the media reported that KTO. So mm-hmm. to me, that's like, huh? <laughs> Raises questions. That yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what goes on, what went on in those decisions. I wasn't there. Uh, I guess that's the sort of thing that'll come out over time in the context did, of the case, but I don't know. Did, did, did they ever, because, you know, you were, your old job was real close to the kind of administration. You were working for lieutenant governor, right? Yeah, I worked, uh, yeah, in two, for two different lieutenant governors, me, Treadwell, and Byron Mallott. So did, did, there was never like an offer, hey, maybe, maybe... Because you are kind of a little bit political, maybe we're going to offer you a different position somewhere else. In no, the they government? never came to me with that. No, would, which I would have been fine with. I mean, actually, would you? Yeah, would you have entertained yeah, that? Or? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, they get to make those decisions. I mean, that's reasonable. Um, but no, they never came to me with anything like that. It was just boom, you're out of here. So, so at this point, you're kind of waiting to see. I guess they have to. You filed the suit, but have they respond? They haven't responded yet, right? Not to my knowledge. No, I'm sort of letting my lawyers, the ACLU and the ACLU press people, handle all of that. I'm trying to just kind of be a good client and not litigate I've, my own case. I always wonder how, like, if a yeah. lawyer's involved in a case, if they want to be like, "Hey, I'm the lawyer." It's not easy. I'm trying, but I, you know, it's that expression. You know, only a oh, it's that expression. Only a fool has himself for a lawyer, or a, someone who has their own lawyer. It's their fool for a client I don't know something about don't be your own lawyer it's like that's um, like the, uh, the I can't I can't remember like the George exact Bush, wording like, of it once yeah I can't on. even remember what you, it is you but, fool him you don't fool him again <laughs> yeah something like that anyway bottom line is I'm trying not to micromanage that and I'm trying to let you know, very competent people at the ACLU handle that for me and for these other two doctors that are part of this whole I, thing I gotta say one thing about you is you you haven't uh, let up on your um Twitter presence and your blood I mean you've you, you haven't, you haven't kind of, some, I think some people might say, well, I'm going to, geez, you know, I'm, you've doubled, you've kind of just kept doing you, oh, which, yeah. which I love that. That's, yeah, that's great. of course. I mean, I've, I feel like I've every right to do that. Um, I have a big following on social media. I enjoy speaking my mind. I think I say the things that need to be said in the way that I feel like they need to be said. Um, I've got a really good readership. Um, people respond to it. I enjoy doing it. I've met a lot of people. I've made a lot of connections. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I've always written my whole life. I've loved writing. I did it for work. I do it for fun. I do it for advocacy. Do you, and, do you find uh, that? So I start I, when I was in Australia. I did like a travel blog, uh-huh. and then when I came back here, I started Landmine in October 2017. Do you ever go back and read stuff you wrote like a long time ago? Yeah, it's so I, different I, and weird. I, I like cr- I cringe. Oh when yeah, I, when I read some of my early stuff because it's so it's so bad. Yeah, and I can remember having that experience as a kid. I used to keep diaries 
with a little like lock on them under my mattress and I would go back and read them a year later and just be mortified. Um, but you know, I don't have any regrets about anything I've written. I always say this, every word I've never written anything anonymously. I don't believe in anonymous writing. Um, no, no pseudonym. No pseudonym. I'm very proud of every word I've put into print. I yeah, have no I just, problem with any I of it. I just mean the kind of the, the, the way, the style and the gram, like I've just gotten so much better at um, how it's how it's how it's written. Oh yeah, it's a craft. I mean, you practice, and with time, you keep getting better and better. And yeah, it's a craft, just like anything I else. Think, I think the more you know, the more you I've been reading a lot lately too. The more you read and write, the more, the better you get at, at writing. Certainly, reading is a huge part of it. And I'm an avid reader, um, and I've always been an avid reader. Um, the more you read, the more you write, the better you get at both reading and writing. Um, I try and write every day. Um, I read every day and I do legal work every day. So I try and keep my brain sharp in the whole, you know, verbal. Do you, do you ever have to transition from writing like in a blog to writing like a lawyer writes? Because you guys write a little bit. Yeah, so two totally different types of writing. Yeah. Um, but the blog writing and the jokey social media stuff, that's my outlet. You know, that's my um, hobby and my. Um, my therapy and legal writing is my job. You know, it's, I like that you said that. Cause I mean, when I write stuff, it's a way to, I don't know. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I'll write, be working on a big story or something that's important or something that I know people are going to, and then I, I just post it. And then I see, I start going on my, like I'll check Google analytics and I'll see there'll be like 300 people on there. Like, so I know people are reading it and I know, and then you see, you know, people are commenting or sharing mm-hmm. it and it's, I don't know, it's a little bit of a, a kind of a addictive. It's almost like a drug, you know? It's a valid, I mean, there's a validation junkie aspect to it for sure. Um, but there's also a synergy between a writer and a reader. And it's just like an artist and somebody in a museum. You know, you're writing for an audience. The audience is responding to you, especially in 2019 with social media where you can instantly engage with people. Um, it's a real dialogue, you know, or can be. Um, and the reader response drives the content and the content provokes a reader response. And you have a lot of conversations, both productive and counterproductive. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of really interesting opportunities out of doing my blog that I wouldn't otherwise have had and met people I wouldn't otherwise have mm-hmm. met. Yeah, me too. Um, so it's, you know, it opens doors and, you know, it, closes some windows I guess and opens some other doors and um just I think it's 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 fascinating now you know in 21st century anybody me or you or somebody can start a website or a blog and and this is good in some ways and bad in some ways because it's it's good because people can reach um people in an unprecedented way we've never seen throughout history it's bad for the same reason because some people use it for good and some people use it for for bad yeah and it's a real I think when it comes to media, it's a real challenge because forever you had NBC, ABC, CBS, trusted networks, you know, and they would um, provide the news. Now you have you know, Fox and MSNBC and you have a million different web Breitbart and, right. you know, you have right wing and left wing, you know, media. and Yeah, you know, I mean, some, it makes know. bigger demands on a reader to question or not even question, just analyze the source of the information that they're getting where is it coming from? Who's paying for it? Um, I think it's interesting. You read the same thing, same topic, Breitbart and HuffPost. 
you know, even here, like the same, you have different blogs in Alaska that mm-hmm. the same exact topic with right. people generally agree on what's happening, but the, 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 what they say about it or sometimes how they spin it is just so radically different. There's just a lot more editorializing, you know, and I've never pretended to be a journalist as the thing. My whole thing was always just silly editorializing about just whatever random observations would pop into mm-hmm. my head. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot more, um, I think, what would have once been traditional news outlets um, drifting more towards like pure editorializing and, you know, the factual predicate of what people are writing about is true is the same but the spin on it and the language that's used um sort of that neurolinguistic thing of you know using negative or positive words depending on the spin that you want to give to an issue um really colors the way the way it comes across and what people pick up on and i just think it's unfortunately you know people's attention span is really limited um, at a time when we can't really afford to have a limited attention span because the issues are complex and the sources are so varied. Well, that's part of the problem is I think some of the, you know, I just made a, it's funny, I just made a tweet about if, if there was enough, if there was as much focus by the media on the legislature as there is the Iditarod, we'd all be a lot more informed. But but I, I understand that sometimes you look at really huge investigative stories that are very important if it was whether it's New York Times or it's you know the Economist or the Washington Post mm-hmm. and you know I, I think I think you're right people don't generally read those and they don't have the attention span anymore I mean I think like our phones and um, have created sort of a shift in our truly a shift in our cognition and our ability to have a focused set of attention I mean I just I notice it with myself that I can't pay attention to you know, a long movie the way that I used to be able to, or like a whole book or something. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of that is that sort of, um, that social media phone culture of everything being instant. People read differently than they used to. They've shown this little paragraphs, um, visually, it makes a difference how you lay things out. Um, you know, people just don't have the attention span that they once did and everybody wants things to be digested into little tiny sound bites and easy clicks. And, um, that's coinciding with a time where the issues themselves are actually more complicated than ever. And so what you end up with is a really underinformed public. Well, I think that I agree with that. And also I think combined with just kind of a lack of civic uh, knowledge and, and education and there's people that I talk to that are I and mean, they aren't even they aren't, they aren't even dumb people but they just don't like have a, a, a basic kind of understanding of of how th- I mean you, you can't have a conversation with somebody if you don't both have at least a base level of understanding about a topic no I mean and I think you know now more than ever you know people really Americans need to have at least a schoolhouse rock level of civics knowledge to understand the threats that we're facing to our democracy, uh, to understand um, the concepts of corporate capture, the issues that we are all, um, this the kind of the endangerment of our civil liberties that is kind of happening during this era. Um, but you need a baseline level of civic knowledge to appreciate those things. And if you don't have that, you don't know yeah, what it is you're losing. Whether it's civics or, I mean, I, I couldn't have a complex conversation about building a bridge with an engineer because I just don't, you know, but I think we all need to, it's important that, 
you know, I remember when I was in school, we talked about the three branches of government. We were mm-hmm. very clear how a bill gets passed and mm-hmm. veto. And we talked about the history of kind of all of these institutions and, and why they're important. And um, I just don't feel like that's really something we, maybe that's by design. I mean, the blog post you I, mentioned just a minute ago, you talked about, what was it, sick and under? Uh, sick, dumb, mean, and afraid. Um, I talk about that. And I think there is an intentional effort um, to starve the public of information and education, um, especially in the area of science and civics, because the more people are informed in science and in civics, the more people realize, you know, the danger our planet is in, the danger our constitution is in, and then the people who are interested in maintaining the status quo, which are mostly wealthy corporations, um, you know, they have, an, they have a vested interest in keeping us all in the I dark. Just, I just, you know, all this stuff just came out about uh, Lori Laughlin and all these rich, rich people. These I many were that. indicted about bribing schools so their kids Insane. could attend. And I saw a comment that I thought was kind of really measured up or not measured up, but it summarized the whole thing for me. It said, this is not at all surprising. What's surprising is they got charged. Yeah. No, Which, I mean, I think we have a pay-to-play culture in every capacity. Um, that's that's where we are as a society, I think. Um, you know, I grew up in that kind of, like, pressure, academic pressure cooker environment. And you, I, you grew up in New York, New I York, I grew right? up in New York City, yeah. I mean, I studied really hard in school. I got good grades. I went to an Ivy League college. I worked really hard to get into it. I didn't, you know, have famous parents like, or anything. Like my, my cousin, um, my cousin Vinny. You know? Yeah, right. That's Marissa told me. You've seen that? Yeah, of course. So, I love that it's movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Um, but, you know, that environment where, you know, there's this idea that there's only one definition of success. It's going to these schools. It's making, it's having this career. It's making this amount of money. Uh, it's a really narrow definition of success and um, you know, these are just sort of bigger societal issues that all come back to, um, to me, the fact that our public institutions are increasingly um, owned by corporate interests. Yeah, and, you know, I heard something somebody say a while back, and I think it totally just kind of really makes it all clear, is we have a situation now where in this country, a third of the country <clears throat> hates the other third. And then the middle third is kind of like, you know, like, What's going on? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's basically a classic example of kind of, like you said earlier, divide and conquer. You know, you have these like Republicans here, or conservatives, you have these Democrats or liberal, you know, and then like so many of them are just, it's like you can't even have a conversation. And then you have people in the middle who are just kind of like, you know, we want to have things be normal. And one thing I don't like to do very much, and you'll never see me do this on the internet or anywhere, is kind of light into any of my fellow citizens, like I don't spend any time, you know, maligning people that voted for Trump or MAGAs or I don't get into any of that stuff. MAGA hat. I just think all that stuff's a total waste of time. You know, I'm concerned with the policies. I'm concerned with the people in power, not the people that are being conned by these, you know, ridiculous structures. Well, I think, you know, Bill Maher, he talks a lot about, uh, it's funny, he's always said, I don't know if you watch Bill Maher, but... I've been a little he, bit. One of his one of his things, he's, he's like, I get why rich people, you know, and I'm a Republican, right, but like moderate. Uh, I'm kind of maybe lapsing in some level, but he's <laughs> like, I get why rich people vote for Republicans. I just don't get why poor people do it. Yeah, well, you know, I've thought about that too, but in a way, there's plenty of left-wing people that vote against their own economic interests too, because, you know, like wealthy 
left-wing people who would be well-served financially to vote Republican, vote Democrat, because they care about certain social safety nets and institutions like that. So I don't think it's entirely inconsistent to vote against your economic interests. It just depends on what you care about, you know? I think in that case, it's more, if, if you're wealthy and you want to understand that, I think it's a little different than if you're, you're like, been sold on, you know, oh, you know, got to get the tax, you know, whatever, so I can be better, I can, you know, be a millionaire one day, or they, some people think they're going to, through these policies, it's going to help them. When in reality, I mean, you know, you go to work, eight to five, nine to five, and you work really hard, you're not going to, you're not going to be a millionaire. And you still can't pay your bills. And you're, you know, I talk to people all the time about, I'm single, no kids. And you, you have kids, mm-hmm. husband. Yep. If you look at just kind of the, and I bring this up a lot, if you look at the cost of going to movie with your family and going to dinner before, it's like, it's like $200. Yeah, it's expensive. And you know, before, and there's a lot of reasons why these are, this is different now, but a, a single earning, you know, family could, could kind of exist. Yeah. And you just can't, you can't do that anymore unless the person's earning a lot of money. No, I mean, completely. I mean, I just think about when I was growing up, um, both my parents worked. Um, I did go to private school because at the time the New York City public school system wasn't as good as it is now. And if you could afford to go to private school, um, you know, often you did. My parents sent me to private school. There was no way I could afford private school now for even one of my kids ever. Um, I mean, you just can't, the cost of living in New York city is astronomical. I could never live there now, even if I wanted to, you know, people ask me, well, are you going to leave Alaska? And I'm like, no, I'm not leaving Alaska. This is, first of all, I mean, I can't afford to go home (laughs) to New York. Um, and this is my home and my kids in middle school entering middle school next year. I'm not going to let, you know, Tuckerman Babcock disrupt my child's education and life here just because Mm -hmm. they kicked me out of my job. Um, so I have every intention of staying here. Plus, I love Alaska and I love Juneau, and I'm very invested in the community. And you know, I'm so if, not, you were in, if you were in Anchorage, probably easier to get a law job. Probably, right? yeah. It's I mean, I, the, I can't really. I'm not in a position to uproot my there's kids. A, but, there's a ton of uh, three or four name offices down yeah, in Anchorage. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, it's only been a few months, so I'm still kind of feeling my way through my next steps. But they don't include leaving the state. So. Yeah, but I think I think you're absolutely right about the. Um, cost of you know private school whether whether it be private school or college or you know it's like uh we have a situation where i think the wealthy are getting wealthier and the 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 poor are getting it's harder increasingly more difficult to and and i'm not one of these people who's like we got to redistribute i mean i'm not trying to say that wealthy people are evil but it's to the point now where it's going to get so um there's going to be so much uh, disparity in in money that at some point it's going to get really bad People I, mean, gonna, I think we're getting gonna... there. You know, income inequality is just getting bigger. The gap between, you know, the top one to five percent of the population and everybody else's income is just getting wider and wider and wider. And this whole elusive American dream idea and the trickle down um, economic model. The Laffer it's, curve. It's just not working for a lot of people. You know, it's not working for most people. Well, the, the, And the thing is, it doesn't. You know, an unstable society where people are struggling. It, it, the, honest, the ironic thing is, it doesn't benefit the wealthy people either. No, it actually hurts everybody. Yeah, and and, it, and you, you look at. I mean, we have a history of the French Revolution. You know, we have there's things and and no society. I, I heard this recently, and I didn't even believe it. And I went back and, and looked. You know, like no governmental society, no government has ever lasted more than three hundred years. Is that right? And the history. I mean, think about it. Rome. Mm-hmm. I think Rome was one of the longest. No. 
go back in Soviet Union, Weimar Republic, Germany. I mean, all these, you know, countries, governments, no, none, none has lasted more than 300 years. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing about any government is it's just a set of rules and structures that we make up. Um, it's not like a natural process. So like I often, you know, I often use this analogy. If you are sick and you get cancer and you don't do anything to treat it, eventually you die. That'll, that'll happen no matter what. Um, if you have a constitutional right that's violated and you don't do anything to enforce it or assert it, it's as if that right never existed in the first place. It's just a document. It's just something that people agreed on. And if you don't bring it in front of the third branch of government to make a call on it one way or the other, it's like it doesn't matter, never happened. Um, and that's, I mean, government only works in if the people who have created it and are participating in it continue to uphold its principles. That's a really good analogy. The cancer analogy. Yeah, there's nothing natural about it. There's nothing sort of organic about it. If you look at the 300-year thing, we're coming up on, what, 70s? We're coming up on 250, right? We don't have much time left. Well, some people say we only have 12 years left on the whole planet, so... Well, that's the uh, that's the AOC, right? Yeah, right. Twelve years left. Whatever. Uh. It's so hard. You look at all the problems we have, and I think that we have so, such huge problems. Huge. But some people think you know there's simple solutions, or they try to offer a simple solution because maybe it's hard to have a complex discussion about complex problems. So people try to boil it down. And the truth is, climate change is complex. You know, personally, I don't know the level of human involvement and the level of nat- natural you know, cyclical. I mean, I think it's both for sure, but the, the, regardless, I mean, if it's, if it's natural, we can't do anything about that probably. And the human, um, impact, we can't just overnight, I mean, stop producing oil and stop driving cars. So, so governments have to say, we have to find a way to deal with this. Yeah. And I think just even saying that out loud has been progress because I can remember a time not very long ago when, People denied it was happening, and they denied that humans were any cause of it at all. And now it's pretty much very standardly accepted that it's happening, and very much a standard mainstream concept that people are contributing well, to. Well, humans—I mean, there's definitely an impact. Say there's no impact. People—I hear people say that. It's like it's all cyclical. I mean, I think there's a cyclical nature because you know you go back hundred, thousands of years. There was the mm-hmm. there was the uh, medieval warming period, you know, and there was little ice age, mm-hmm. and you know there was very there was a hunt, very few humans on the earth at the time. Mm-hmm. So this natural cycles for sure happen. Maybe we're in a warming, but I think we're definitely amplifying it by burning, you know, what we do, burning. Yeah. Get, you know, I mean, but- I'm a big, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, but I'm a big believer in the scientific method. And, you know, one of the things that I think gets lost nowadays is respect for science, respect for studies, empiricism, evidence. Um, those things are, the reason we understand the world, physics, the human body, well, even, biology. Even, even now over in our legislature, the uh, the Institute of Social and Economic Research PhD economists presented their uh, study about the you know economic impacts of this budget and different, you know, the economy. And you have all these people who just say, oh, he's, fuck him, he's full of shit. I mean, he's like a PhD in, in economics. He's very he's a very smart guy. But you're right. right, it's easy to say, oh, he, you know, he's... Uh, Screw him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's 
his, his research is bullshit. I mean, look, it's like, I don't know that study that you're talking about, but studies are, you know, depends on how good the study is. Studies can vary in their quality, um, but, you know, there's the, the entire scientific method as a whole is a time-tested thing. Uh, it's how humans have learned to understand the world since pre-Galileo, since human civilization. That's developed and, you know, it's given us some of our greatest advances and uh, it deserves a lot of respect, in my opinion. And when you have a scientific consensus on something like climate change, that's meaningful to me. Well, because you, you, We grew up, and at least when I grew up, it, you know, you have a hypothesis and you have a variable and you isolate and you do it. Control group, um, the whole thing. That's yeah. kind of, you know, and then you, you kind of keep until somebody can, when people can repeat it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you're right. I think there's just this kind of, I think there's also just a lack of, there's almost a contempt of, of of educated people by some people they look at oh they're educated oh they they went to you know university or oh they, there's like a contempt for people oh, that are absolutely. educated absolutely it's it, it's almost like oh he's they're one of those educated people well it's the whole like elitism concept. which which sh- sh- just fascinates me because you know my parents didn't go to college but my dad used to always say you know you have to do better than we, we did go to get, get an education and it was like instilled in me that that's important that's what you're supposed to you're supposed to get educated yeah and now i think some people just uh like the elitism part yeah i mean i think that was also instilled in me i mean my parents let me do whatever i wanted as long as i did well in school that's all they cared about and that was you know my family's like fourth generation new yorkers from you know eastern europe ellis island people and um you know sort of fled fleeing persecution as Jews in Eastern Europe and yes yeah, so you have a, you have a, your back law, you're, you're Jewish so my dad's side's all Jewish is that right no uh, they came from before World War II they came during um the pogroms turn of yeah. the century from Lithuania Ukraine area yeah so and, I'm like I did 23 and me I'm like 95 percent Ashkenazi Jew five percent like Middle Eastern and North African or something and didn't like you that. say you have to you put that post about you have to get your once a year, Ashkenazi boob check yes, or something. Because yes. there's like a breast cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like at a heightened risk for that. So I go to Seattle for my treatments for that. Um, but, you know, it was instilled in me that, you know, education was really important. It was part of succeeding in America, actually. You know, it was part of kind of striving to, like you said, um, have your children do better than you. And it was a generational thing. I think now there's some pushback about elitism and, you know, accessibility and the utility of a college education, but there's a contempt for science. And again, I think this all sort of builds on itself. You know, the, the more you kind of starve public education, the fewer, the less educated the populace is, and the less educated the populace is, the less important they consider information yeah, I have, and knowledge. I have a friend who's a teacher, and they told me one of the parents at a press con- or parent-teacher con- press conference. <laughs> I'm like Juno mind right now. Uh-huh. Everything's a press conference, a parent-teacher conference. That uh, she made the comment: the kid's very bright, and you know, I think the kid has a potential to do this and that. The parent said, uh, "Yeah, no, that we're not interested in that. Like, you know, get the, get their education, go to work." And it was like yeah. almost kind of shocked because it was like, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, your kid's very bright. And it was almost like, no, I don't, I don't need that for my kid. My kid's going to get their level of education and they're going to get a job. Yeah. Like I did. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, every family has their own values and their own sort of what they care about um, and don't. Um, you know, my parents really pushed the whole education thing, you know, and I think 
my job now is to use the privilege I was given with the education I have to articulate ideas that I think need to be put out into the world. And that's what I'm using yeah. my education to do. Well, this has been great, Libby Bacalar. We're at 46 minutes, which oh my gosh. normally I, I do about 30, but when it's somebody like Libby Bacalar. We well, gotta, you know, I deserve that extra 60 we, we gotta, minutes, obviously. We got to push the envelope. Clearly. So uh, I think I'll be in Juno for, it looks like the session's going to go longer than, does it ever, it never goes 90 really, right? I mean, no, it hasn't gone 90 in years. It'll go to 120 and probably beyond. Yeah, so 121 uh, is mid-May. And though, so, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a special session on something, maybe on the budget. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's the per diem issue. You know, they have that per diem situation where if they don't pass a budget, they don't get the per diem. Yes. So that might. Good old HB 44. Might, I worked might. on that. Did you? Yeah. Well, a, I worked on the ballot. Part of my job was ballot initiative uh, work, so I worked on the ballot. A lot of folks are not happy with some of the. Actually, there's a hearing today, I think, on uh, changing some of that. Because there's like some stuff with. If a spouse or you gets a $10,000 a year benefit from some industry, you basically can't talk to them. Huh, so you have legislators who like can't talk to people in the oil industry huh. about, you know, it's like, they're like, uh, <laughs> we need to be able to talk to people. That's interesting about the ballot because they were going to pass the ballot initiative. Yeah. And then the legislature got kind of scooped them and passed a bill that mm-hmm. was similar enough. So, mm-hmm. and that, that allows them to make changes, right? Yeah, well, they could always make changes. What you can't do is repeal within two years. So the legislature can always amend a ballot initiative. I thought you couldn't, you couldn't touch it for two years. No, you can't repeal it. You can make amendments. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But you in this just, case, they, they passed something similar enough that was... That a, avoided the initiative, yes. Who so, was that? That was Jason Grant, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, kind of new guy. I played that one kind of... Yeah. Little, little uh, what's it called? Um... Oh my gosh, what's that word? Loose unit. Cun, cun, yeah, he's a no, loose unit. <laughs> little, little cunning. Cunning. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. So, Libby, it's been great. I think we should do one of these again. Totally. Maybe, maybe we can do a landmine landmine love. Love it. I'll do, do it. Good special edition with Libby Bacalar here in Juno. Perfect. All right, well, appreciate you taking the time to do this, and uh, hopefully we can do another one. Yeah, totally. And good luck with uh, your your whole thing there. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having I'll me. Be, I'll, be, I'll be watching. All right, thank you. Okay, all right, guys. If you want to have a do a podcast or have any ideas for podcasts, get a hold of me, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next time. Landline.